0: simpler communications. With the new Chevy Silverado, you might be driving in this, but with the Silverado's redesigned interior and large infotainment screens, it'll feel more like this. Introducing the new 2022 Chevy Silverado. Find new upgrades. Find new roads. Chevrolet. You're, you're, you're listening to the worldwide sports radio network. <laughs> <laughs> This is the MD's Fantasy Football Show with Dan Mader, giving you the X's and O's of all things fantasy ah, on the Worldwide Sports Radio Network.
3: Hello, everybody, and welcome back once again, MD Nation, to the MD's Fantasy Football Show on the Worldwide Sports Radio Network, WWSRN, also presented to you by Belly Up Sports. As always, I'm your host, Dan Mater, joined here with my partner in crime, Mr. Christopher Dowhauer. Chris, how are we doing this week?
1: Counting down the days of training camp. Four more days, and we're there. I get to get some football. Super excited.
3: Football football news. We actually had some news come out yesterday, and today we'll touch on that. It's nothing huge, nothing like the Camp Akers news, which I guess we should talk about on this show. We did talk about it on Tuesday night on the Billy Up Fantasy Live Football Edition that you could check out right now. Every other Tuesdays will be every Tuesday pretty soon on 830 at night. We're going to be touching on the team profile series that we've been going through so far this summer. Frankly, uh, this is what the third to last episode we got this week. Next week, we're definitely going to be back on Thursday and Friday from 11 a.m. to 12.30 p.m. on the Worldwide Sports Radio Network. We're going to wrap up the last two Team Profile Series episodes that we have for you guys next week. And then we're going to be talking about our rankings, our values, our draft strategies, some mock drafts. It's going to be in a very exciting August. We'll be two a week throughout August and then come September, come that first week of football season, baby, we'll be up to five times a week. So you're going to be able to get the MD's fancy Football Show as much as you possibly want. So make sure you're subscribing to us on social media at belly MDFF Show or any one of your favorite pod streaming apps, iHeartRadio, iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher, Spotify. This show is literally available to you pretty much everywhere and also we have people helping us out like our sponsors over there at symbol because symbol s-i-m-b-u-l-l is one of the new innovative apps for sports gambling it's where wall street meets sports gambling in this innovative app where symbol brings the fun of being able to play for the long term by purchasing selling trading stocks of your teams when your team wins you win a payout but when they lose you don't lose any money the share is all that matters and it's easy to use. All you got to do is download the Symbol app on your Play Store and use the promo code MDS Fantasy for a $10 deposit of at least $10 or more. Join the fun of investing in your team for the long haul where the Sportsbook Edge is put back into your hands as the player. For the latest and most fun in sports gambling, download the Symbol app. And again, use the promo code MDS Fantasy for your $10 deposit to... Day, We're having a lot of fun with that. I got shares of all my favorite teams this is what makes it even more exciting because you can play the long term. I got the Yankees. I got the 49ers. I got the Miami Heat. So I got a little bit of everything going around to so get the roof of that. So it's got a nice combination for you guys as players. What's also a really nice combination is the teams that we have talking to you today with the Giants, the Ravens the Saints, and the Chargers. A lot of fantasy implications across these four teams, across these depth charts. So, Chris, I always like to kick off the show asking you this. Is there anything in these four teams that stuck out to you that was you know, the common denominator between these four?
1: I mean, I think the big thing is the at receiver positions. I think a lot of these teams seem to kind of target receivers and trying to make sure that their quarterbacks should be successful going into the season and try to get as many playmakers as possible.
3: Yeah, these four teams did do quite a bit as far as catchers go, with the exception of maybe the Saints. But we'll talk about that in a little bit in the second half of today's show. Let's touch real quickly, because we haven't talked about it on this show yet, even though everyone's talking about it all week long. Let's talk about the Cam Akers news real fast. Torn Achilles, in case you've been living under a rock and haven't heard the news to this point. And then you have Daryl Henderson stepping in. As of right now, the depth chart behind Daryl Henderson is only Xavier Jones and Jake Funk. Two guys, especially Jake Funk in his situation, was really drafted to play special teams. He wasn't meant to actually have to be the third string running back in this situation. So it leads me to believe they're going to bring somebody in. Chris, what do you think the Rams are going to do, though?
1: I mean, I think what they're going to try to do from everything I understand is try to see if these rookies will be able to step up in any kind of capacity. They're kind of against the wall when it comes to salary cap. They have about $7 million to spend, but they prefer to kind of invest in some of those guys and kind of lock some guys up long term. So I think that when it comes to the running back position, I think they're going to try to see what they have in house first. And if guys don't kind of step up, they'll probably look outside for me like a more in-between tackles guy trying to be like banger. I kind of try to keep, you know, Henderson fresh throughout the season. But from what I understand, they they actually want to try to see if they can use Jones and they can use Funk and see if they can kind of you know get away with that for now.
3: I give it a week. I give it a week before they bring somebody else in. Look, I know sometimes in the running back position in particular, we can get surprised by people we didn't know about, didn't know a lot of information about, can come out of nowhere. I get all that. Jake Fung and Xavier Jones, very low draft picks. Mostly they're to play special teams. My big thing of why they're definitely going to bring somebody in is not even necessarily because of the underquality of those two, whether it is or it isn't. It's the fact that you can't bank on Daryl Henderson being a workhorse back and lasting 17 games. I think you're stretching yourself a little too thin at the depth chart position. So, with no other reason for that reason alone, I think somebody's going to come in. Now, some of the top headline names that are, are available. DeAndre Washington, Duke Johnson, uh, Adrian Peterson. I keep hearing Le'Veon Bell's name get brought up. I can't imagine him playing another down in the NFL, quite frankly, myself. But and Todd Gurley. Now I know they came out and said that we're not. We don't really have interest in Todd Gurley. But why not? I first of all, I think it'd be funny because that's something we could crack on this show. So I always like that. But he already knows the offense. You're going to sign a million-dollar one-year deal at the most. He's not going to be there to be the starter. He would be there to be a goal-line guy, be a bruiser, to take off some of the situations you don't necessarily want to put Daryl Henderson in to begin with. I'm not not trying to throw Daryl Henderson there on the goal-line every single time. I'd rather get a Todd Gurley who, even in his old age, we saw it last year in Atlanta, he finds a way to still get across that goal-line when given the opportunity, if nothing else, but I think Adrian Peterson could fit that bill, too. He's managed to stay in shape and stay... Pretty. Even last year, Detroit, he wasn't bad. So I think that one of those guys makes more sense than, let's say, a Duke Johnson, a DeAndre Washington. Guys are required to have the skill set of a Daryl Henderson, of an Xavier Jones, of a Jake Funk, where they're more of a out-in-space, pass-catching type of backs anyway. I don't think they need another one of those. I think you need somebody to come in and be the bruiser and just put them in situations to take a beating... If you need to do that, as Sean McVay does, like to have that guy available to him. I mean, that's why they've had Malcolm Brown for so long.
1: Yeah, I mean, well, one thing from my understanding, the Todd Gurley situation is basically a done deal that he's not going to be playing for the Rams. Um, there is a lot of talk about, you know, would there be some kind of reconnection between these two? These two, um, but from my understanding. They think that Todd Gurley has absolutely nothing left in the tank and not even enough just to be a bruiser, even between the tackles. That's why they cut him. That's why they ate all the money that they ate in the first place. So I, I would be really surprised if it's, uh, you know, it is Gurley. But I do think Adrian Peterson makes some sense. I think even Devontae Freeman makes some sense. I think some guys, there's a lot of veteran running backs out there. Um, you might see what happens with the Miami-Washington uh, situation. Where Lamar Miller is the fourth string, third or fourth string running back right now. So you have a couple of different running backs out there, um, maybe make a trade, you know, see what kind Marlon Mack works out for the Colts. So I think that they kind of have they can kind of play a wait and see situation where they're not in a rush necessarily to add anybody. Um, I understand the playbook might be something that you know you're kind of worried about guys getting, but as we're kind of talking about, these guys are gonna be really utilized a lot more than just between the tackles and probably at the goal line. So there's not a whole lot of plays you have to kind of learn. Um, so I think there's some, a lot of situations. I think that that's why the Rams are going to kind of take their time and see what they got. Don't forget the name OJ Anderson. Um, I think it's another the guy they have in their backfield right now. Some of them they kind of like and has more of that kind of short yardage, you know, back background from college, is a grinder. Um, so it's kind of be interesting to see if they get one of the young guys a shot or do they go out and get a veteran. But there's plenty of choices out there for them.
3: Yeah, there are actually some decent choices. But all right, so let's say for the sake of argument, they decide that they are fine with what they have, and they stick with Daryl Henderson. Is Henderson going to be a guy who gets 70% of the work across the board for as long as he's healthy throughout this season?
1: I think it'll be caught maybe like around 65. I don't know if it'll be as high as 70, but I think it will be between around 65% of the time. I think you're going to see the Rams just basically throw the ball a lot more than they have been in the past. They use a lot more passing. Their passing game That's probably you know big reason they invested in Stafford. Um, they do have weapons on the outside. They're you know a plethora of weapons. They can go for receivers. One like a lot of these teams can out. There, So I think they have a lot of guys they can kind of utilize in different ways. You know, on our last show, we talked about Tyler Tyler Higby having kind of an opportunity to come a big season, people kind of underestimating what he brings to the table. So they have a lot of different weapons they can kind of utilize and maybe don't have to focus so much on just, you know, primarily running the ball and maybe using these guys kind of keep Anderson fresh by sprinkling a guy here or there and depending on situations.
3: Yeah, You are hitting the nail on the head there when it comes to, I believe this will open up, not open up, but add more to the passing volume in general. I think they'll just look to put more things in Matthew Stafford's hands. The whole reason why they brought him in anyway. So Sean McVay could do that and put more in their quarterback's hands and open up the passing game a little bit more. And this will just kind of emphasize this where You know, Sean McVay is the kind of coach, and this kind of gets left out a little bit. He is a very balanced attack type of guy. He likes to set up the play action, but we might see a little bit more passes set up the run now, given that Cam Akers is out. One thing I want to take note of, and just just for Darrell Henderson himself when it comes to comparing him to Cam Akers, he was the more efficient runner. He was the more efficient pass catcher of the two last season. Now, I like Cam Akers more for the long run. I think he can handle more of a workload type of guy. But Daryl Henderson was very good. I liked him a lot coming out of college. So I think it's safe to say that, and we'll talk about this in the poll later too, what MD Nation thinks. I think it's safe to say that this guy is going to be at least a mid-range rp 2 And believe it or not, I think he actually could have top 12 upside in a what should be top 10 to top five offense scoring wise, given what he's able to do efficiency wise, given his explosive ability.
1: Yeah, I 100 percent agree. And I think that the Rams in general will be more explosive team. I think that's where you're going to see probably the shift in focus not only being more pass heavy, but also more big play heavy. I think they're going to try to strike more and have less, you know, long drives and trying to be more of an aggressive team down the field with Stafford with weapons that they have outside so they can kind of keep the running back fresh. And I think to your point, Henderson has been, been very effective. You know, people kind of wrote him off after his rookie year and kind of underestimate what he can bring to the table. Last year, he showed you—you know—he had some great, some good, really good games, especially at the beginning of the season. For Acres, kind of got his feet wet. Henderson was kind of the guy in a lot of ways, and was one of the—you know—PFF's top running, top rated running back for a good portion of the season. So, I mean, when he talks about efficiency, and talks about explosiveness. This guy has both, and he can do anything out of the backfield. He can catch the ball, he can run between tackles. He has explosiveness outside. So, I do think he's going to be a nice fit, and he has a lot of upside. And I wouldn't be surprised if he finishes in the top twelve or top fifteen easily.
3: Yeah, I mean, there's a lot of people out there want to say, "Well, well, he had his opportunity to shine last year. No, you knew Cam Akers breathing down his neck. They were still trying to give Malcolm Brown playing time for whatever reason, but that's the difference. Now, Cam Akers is going to be out for this year. Malcolm Brown is gone. He doesn't have to worry about all of that. He just gets to be the efficient runner that he is. The big thing I like about him, too, is that you know he has a very safe high floor because Matthew Stafford likes to throw the ball to the running back. Sean McVay likes to throw the ball to the running back. I would say that's Darrell Henderson's best skill set overall, especially on screen passes and everything else. And that's a big part of this Rams offense. So there's a lot of things to like here about Darrell Henderson. Body type wise, he's, Simpler communications. Not much different than DeAndre Swift. I think Swift's a little bit more explosive, but not much different there. And I also want to point this out. Henderson has a real opportunity here, not just for this year, but for the future. Keep in mind, both Henderson and Cam Akers are second round picks. It's not like Cam Akers has much more draft capital than a Daryl Henderson. Now, do I believe come 2022 that it it won't still lean towards Cam Akers? I do. But there's an opportunity where if Henderson takes advantage here, this might be a real conversation come next year between these two guys. Don't underestimate that as a motivational factor when you're looking at Henderson. I know what you're gonna, what, what's going to happen here is that he's going to jump up to that second-round range in ADP, and you're going to see his name next to you know, J.K. Dobbins and DeAndre Swift and Najee Harris and Clyde Edwards-Alaire, all those running backs kind of going in that range, and he's gonna, his name value is going to look like what's, what's wrong with his picture. right? He's going to look like he's the odd man in that group, but he belongs there, so don't be afraid to take him there because that's the value that you're looking at with him in this offense.
1: Yeah, 100% agree.
3: So, there's just something to take in mind. We will be keeping, you know, you know obviously we're going to be talking about this all throughout August, what we expect and everything like that. My rankings are up on Fantasy Pros Half One PPR. We will have everything up on BellyUpFantasySports.com, hopefully by the weekend. All right, so now that we talked about that, a quick thing, couple quick things I just want to hit on because they came out yesterday. Uh, Amari Cooper goes on the NFI list. He could be activated at any time. It is a little concerning that he's not going to start off the first week of training camp, I guess you could say, uh, with uh, still getting hindered by that ankle injury that seemed to have bothered him all of last year. Now, as far as his expectation goes for week one, there's no concern whatsoever that he's going to miss week one or anything like that. Uh, So we're not too concerned about that aspect of it. And in other news, Ramondre Stevenson, uh, on the non-football participant list, he can also be activated at any time. It sounds like in OTAs they did say he was there was a few things nagging him. It sounded like anyway. So we'll see exactly what happens there when he can get activated. Not that he's somebody we're really about for 2021, but just keeping in mind for dynasty purposes, especially if they wind up cutting Sony Michelle, he could be the second running back to Damian Harris. So just kind of bring that up too. Anything you want to say about Amari Cooper?
1: I mean, I'm not worried about Murray Cooper. We saw him play on that kind of bum ankle last year, and he was still very productive, even being an adult as a quarterback. I think this is more a precautionary thing, and also a way to kind of save a roster spot in the meantime. Dallas has some decisions to make in their secondary and some decisions to make at the receivers. They're pretty deep at both, so they can kind of buy some time by adding, putting him there and keeping guys you know, around. To see maybe there's somebody else that they can maybe sneak through the practice squad. I think that's more what you're looking at, where you're not really going to have Amari Cooper going all out anyway, as it is. He's already been playing with Dak Prescott for quite a few years now. He's really familiar with the offense. So it's not like he has to be out there to kind of, you know, practice to learn. We're talking about practice, uh, but he's not about something he's going to have to be out there too much for him to get in a kind of a groove. And I think that Steven's thing is also very interesting because I think it might mean that Sony Michelle does make the team or could have a chance to make the team. This also buys them some time. Um, about their roster. And we kind of seen the Patriots historically redshirt their, their running backs that first year. We saw something have, similar happen with Damien Harris, where basically he had it's basically had the same thing happen to him. Uh, he was a little bit, quote-unquote, banged up. They put him, they, you know, snuck him on on their non-football list, exempt list, and he was able to kind of get through the season, and then they were able to kind of, you know, turn to him the second year. I think Stevenson's kind of similar situation, and it also helps them and makes them tough choices and kind of buys them some time.
3: Well, yeah, that's the other aspect of this. If you have guys that are a little bit nicked up and you don't necessarily want to push in the first week of training camp, now you don't necessarily have to make cuts right away. You can kind of have a little bit of flexibility with the roster. So some of it has to do with that, than it is any of these injuries being serious. I'll say with Amari Cooper, this will give some credence to those out there that have C.D. Lamb overtaking Amari Cooper for fantasy football purposes. I never thought that was much of a stretch to begin with. I actually have had them kind of ranked next to each other this entire summer. I don't know if that's really going to change at all. Is it a little annoying Amari Cooper is a little bit banged up? Yeah, it is because, first of all, I love Amari Cooper. I will be one of the first guys out there to defend him at all costs because there are so many negative myths about this guy when it comes to inconsistency. Not true, since he went to Dallas. When it comes to the Jekyll and Hyde stuff, the injury stuff. The injury stuff is real in a sense of he always seems to be plagued by something, but he also always seems to be able to go out there on Sunday and play, which... That can be a double-edged sword sometimes. Sometimes, Okay, it's great. My guy's not missing time. Also, sometimes it winds up being a decoy and you get frustrated because of that, too. It can kind of go back and forth. But uh, most importantly, I'm not worried about Amari Cooper. He will be available week one. They have no concerns whatsoever. He's not going to be 100% by week one. Playing it precautionary. The point is this when it comes to Dallas Cowboy offense everybody's going to be great. CeeDee Lamb's going to be great. Mario Cooper's going to be great. Dak's going to be great. Ezekiel Elliott's going to be great. And I think Michael Gallup will even be a flex guy. I think we'll see some improvements out of him as well with Dak Prescott in there being sort of a guy that you can plug and play and hit big. He'll be the Jekyll and Hyde guy of this offense. Won't be consistent, but he'll be the guy who actually has the Amari Cooper reputation for the season, but will still be fantasy relevant in his own right. So as long as you're not taking a tight end on the Dallas Cowboys, I'm pretty much good with you guys having this, and I think they'll be just, just fine. Okay, Chris, let's get into our first team for the team profiles, which is the New York Giants. And do you want to kick this off with what I already know is going to be an argument between the two of us right off the bat? Sir, I'm just going to hit the alarm button because I don't even need to wait. I'm talking about Kenny Galladay. So go, Chris. Tell me why you like Kenny Galladay this season.
1: So... We've had this narrative off the show that, you know, Kenny Galladay is basically in a a, a tough situation. You question the quarterback play, you question the offense. And when I look at what Kenny Galladay brings to the table, number one, he's being paid $72 million. So I think that there's absolutely a lot of reasons for him to be focused and win the primary um, guys in the passing game. We've seen Des Bryant have success with Jason Garrett. So Jason Garrett is the most creative guy. That I will never argue. But he does know how to use a big body receiver and has had production Throughout his career as a play caller. And then when it comes to Kenny Galladay also is, you know, David Daniel Jones questioning um, is Daniel Jones gonna be able to get in the ball? Is he gonna be aggressive enough? Daniel Jones will throw the ball up. He will push the ball down the field if he needs to. He had have one of the better um was the passes on target down the field. Actually the top guy is considered to have yeah, he, he, the best. He was
3: seventh in, in deep completions. Go ahead
1: um and part of that was he also had a lot of guys who dropped the ball or weren't didn't do a great job of being able to attack the ball which Kenny Galladay is absolutely a stud at and then finally if you kind of think about when Kenny Galladay had his best season that was back in 2019 when he went over 1,100 yards he had about 10 or 11 touchdowns led like the league in touchdowns actually and he only played half the season with Matthew Stafford that year he had David Blah and Jeff Driscoll who I think if you look at both of them they're I would say a little worse than Daniel Jones. So. When it comes to is Daniel Jones going to be able to get him the ball? Is Jason Garrett going to be able to get him the ball? I don't really have the fears that some people some some people might have to, or you seem to have as well. Um, I'm very confident in Kenny Galladay, and I think he's a clearly a receiver too, if not a board receiver one.
3: His ADP is wide receiver twenty two right now. So that that's where he's going. Fifty eighth overall, this is half point PPR talking, we're talking about. Kenny I love Kenny Galladay, the player. I don't want this to get twisted. Yes, they paid him. Yes, he's going to be the featured guy. I argue how much that matters. First of all, he's never been a high-targeted guy, and because you have guys like Sterling Shepard, Darius Slayton, Evan Ingram, Saquon Barkley coming back, it's, he's going to get featured to a point, but he's not going to get featured like a Devontae Adams, a Michael Thomas, a Keenan Allen. He's not those guys. He's going to get six to seven targets at max in per game. He's only had one season. The 2019 season, the only season... He's had double-digit touchdowns. And in fact, besides that season where he had 11 touchdowns, he's never had more than five touchdowns in any other season. That includes 2018 when he went over 1,000 yards and made his first Pro Bowl. And he was a wide receiver too then. While Daniel Jones last year was 7th in deep completion percentage, he was still only 18th in attempts. The year before that, he was terrible. Now, I'll give him this. He made a big improvement because 2018 is rookie season he was twenty-eighth in deep ball completions, but he was 18th again in deep ball pass attempts. So two years in a row, he's 18th in attempting the ball going down that deep. Kenny Galladay has to make his living on two things: big plays and touchdowns. Now he might be okay as far as the touchdowns go because as far as red zone targets, you know, Evan Ingram for being a tight end, for being athletic tight ends, not targeting the red zone all that often. Uh Darius Slayton, of course, isn't Sterling Shepard is not. But then you get to Daniel Jones who's a terrible red zone quarterback. Absolutely awful. 18th in red zone attempts, 48th in red zone completions. He's a terrible quarterback in the red zone. He's in a bad offense with Jason Garrett. They're not going to do anything creative. Kenny Golly's not going to get moved around. That's why I say feature to a limit. Because he's not the type of guy, they're not going to move him to the slot. They're not going to try to find him the best mismatch. He's going to wind up on the X spot, on the outside numbers. He's going to line up against that corner where they have double coverage, triple coverage. It doesn't matter. And he's just going to run straight. And that's all he's going to do in this offense. I don't like the offense. I don't like the quarterback. I have Kenny Galladay ranked as a wide receiver 31. I don't see much upside. And I will add this last fact to this argument. And you can rebuttal. He also is not a guy who plays a full season. Doesn't happen. I got him playing 14 games this year. He has a five to one injury rate ratio. So you can't expect him to give you a full season on top of all of it. So that is why I have Kenny Galladay. I'm low on Kenny Galladay, almost 10 spots lower than ADP. And I don't see a ton of upside for this guy. This was why I was so disappointed. He signed with the Giants because I don't know if he'll ever be fantasy relevant unless they bring in a new quarterback next year.
1: So, I don't disagree with the injury concerns, and that's also a big part of why he's ever had, other than the one season, having doubled the touchdowns. It's also that's like, how hey God, he's been in the league for 10 years either. So, I mean, you don't, you're basically talking about three or four years where he's, he's been able to be productive. And he had most of those times, the second or third year, he made the Pro Bowl. I mean, when you look at the, like I said, 2018, He made one
3: Pro Bowl in 2019.
1: Yeah. And you look at, 20, you look at 2018, he did go over 1,000 yards. He had about five or six touchdowns. 2019, I was going to keep reiterating the fact that Matthew Stafford only played half the season, so the guy still led the league in touchdown catches, still had a Pro Bowl year despite not having his starting quarterback and playing with David Blah and Jeff Driscoll. As for the offense, I already talked, kicked off the you know this conversation about Jason Garrett and his usage of Des Bryant. He doesn't. I don't have any faith in Jason Garrett being able to be creative. I don't have any faith that anybody else in this offense is going to eat. The one guy I have a confidence in is going to eat is Kenny Galladay. And the other guy would be, say, Barkley. Historically, Jason Garrett knows how to use his running back. And he knows how to use one receiver. We saw for years and years and years in Dallas, that second and third receiver basically be worthless. Other than Cole Beasley had a decent season one year. So where I, I have questions is, was anybody else going to be productive in this offense? And that's where Dalen Jones not being aggressive enough. You know, this reason we even know who Slayton is. The reason he we kind of came out of nowhere in a sense and became a star receiver for the Giants because he's a big, big threat, big play threat, and because he goes down the field. Daniel Jones gave an opportunity to be that guy. So if he was just a checkdown machine, I'd be more concerned. But he does throw the ball down the field. He has had a history of going to beat guys deep. And Kenny Galladay is one of the best contested receivers, catching receivers in the league. So that's where I think the difference is going to be. Where Daniel Jones, even you look at his college career, he was willing to throw that jump ball. He's willing to throw the ball up for guys. So I do think he's going to have an opportunity to get he keeps more.
3: Saying he's willing, but he's in the bottom half of the league when it comes to that stat. So I disagree with you. The evidence is not in favor
2: of that since he's been in the league. Lucky Land Casino asking people, "What's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky?" Lucky.
1: Period. If you look at their weapons last year, other than Th- Slayton, who was he supposed to push the ball down the field to? I don't care. He's still
3: in the bottom half. There are other guys who have less weapons who still push the ball down the field more than he did. And the other thing about Kenny Galladay with half the season, yes, but he was also, that was also the year Marvin Jones was banged up. He was the only guy left on the field. He's not the only guy getting targets. I only have him for 120 targets in a 17-game season. I'd be hard-pressed to see him get more than that this year and that's and that's if he played 17 games so being i only have not playing for 14 games i only have him for 94 targets because yeah i have not missing those three those three extra games because you have to expect that and bake that into the projection look the point is this chris you look i like hittigality so I, I like where you're coming from i don't i don't i don't miss i don't dislike the player but i the evidence does not stack up in that favor however we don't have, you know, Ben here, who'll be back actually soon to break the tie between us. So MD Nation, you make the decision between this and Kenny Galladay of what he's going to be. But I'm telling you right now, it's somebody that I would not draft at his current ADP. Get okay, it, Chris, Jeff, closing Jeff, statement.
1: Cole, David Blanc. So I'm gonna keep saying Jeff Driscoll and David Blanc.
3: Yeah, I don't I don't think that matters. When I think Daniel Jones is probably on the same playing field, frankly, when it comes to passing the football. All right, so let's move on to the rest of the Giants. Let's talk about them. We might as well talk about Daniel Jones himself since we were just talking about him quite a bit when it comes to Kenny Galladay. Some people think he's a sleeper. Uh, His ADP right now is QB 24, I believe. I have him ranked just or actually have him ranked right around that area uh, myself. I have him at uh, QB 22 Everybody wants to, well, not everybody. The people who buy into Daniel Jones being a sleeper want to make the argument that he has some good weapons around him, which is true, that he has some mobility to his game, which is true, but still from a consistency factor, this is a guy who finished in the top 12 literally 35% of the time. There's so many good quarterbacks this year that have way more upside, way of a better skill set, just as many weapons. I don't get why Daniel Jones would be a sleeper in, in really anybody's mind.
1: No, that argument I will never make. Um, I'm not a Daniel Jones fan. I'm not a guy that, who thinks that you should be targeting him in any kind of capacity in fantasy football. Maybe, maybe his stream guy for maybe a week or two somewhere. He does run around, he does run around somewhat, so he does have a little bit of a floor. Uh, but overall, the, the days of Danny Dimes, I think, are long past us. You know, but he just has some upgraded weapons, especially from his lessons last year. Basically, that offense was, you know, banged up most of the year and also didn't have Saquon. So I think that's going to be a huge thing that's going to help him a lot. Teams won't be able to necessarily just play, you know, keep the guys in front of them. They'll actually have a threat of a running game. They'll actually have somebody have to check the ball down to the backfield. So I do think he has opportunity to be more successful than he has been last year. But overall, to your point, I do think that the depth of the quarterback positions is outstanding this year. And there's not a guy that I'm looking at when there's some other guys I would rather have on my team.
3: Yeah, there's just a bunch of different directions. Daniel Jones literally has to prove that he even belongs in the NFL after this season. And there's a real chance here that if he doesn't do it, David Gellman could be gone, which means there could be a new head coach. There's a lot of things that are up in the air right now for the Giants this year, depending upon if Daniel Jones is able to improve or not. And I'm sorry, I don't see a skill set that makes you think that he would. In any capacity whatsoever. So yeah, I'm off at Daniel Jones completely. There's no reason to even go down that route. If anything, the best possible situation is that maybe you find himself as a streamer at some point. So for redraft purposes, 2021, n- not somebody we're looking at. Who cares? Let's talk about somebody we really do care. A lot of people care about. That's Saquon Barkley. His ADP right now is cute. Q- is a uh, running back three. I strongly disagree with that. Now. I, I should preface this. I still have him ranked as my running back nine. But do you really want to go down this route for the third year in a row with Saquon Barkley? Two years ago, you drafted him number two. Some people drafted him number one. He finished as the 10th running back. So not terrible. He still finished as an RB1. Definitely not the investment you put him as a top pick. Definitely not the guy to be your league winner, but he still finishes an RB1. Missed a few games that season. Comes back, misses a ton of games last year. Injury is a factor when it comes to Saquon Barkley. Plain and simple. He's got a bad quarterback, as we've just illustrated. He's got a bad offensive line. He's got a bad play caller. That's not a good situation, typically speaking, for a running back. He's a tremendous Talent. I don't want to take anything away from him. I love watching the guy play. He's absolutely explosive out there. But if you're going to take him as the elite, elite running back, I feel like you have to be more confident in these guys and what they're going to be able to give you throughout the season and being on the field throughout the season. I think you're taking a hell of a risk. If you have Saquon Barkley in your top five, that's why I have him ranked at RB nine. We have a lot of other running backs. I just feel a lot safer about for the example. I want to use for this argument is I'd much rather have an Ezekiel Elliott, who sounds like he's in better shape and more motivated than ever. But a guy who I know does not miss games last year was the first time he ever missed a game due to injury, and it was still only one, on a great offense with a better offensive line. I'd rather have him, and he's consistently going behind Saquon Barkley, than a Barkley there. I'd rather have Derrick Henry, I'd rather have Dalvin Cook, I'd rather have Alvin Kamara, I'd rather have Christian McCaffrey. The names go on and on, who I'd rather have and go down to my top pick in the season, than taking the risk, the risk, that is Saquon Barkley, not just because of injury, but also because of his situation.
1: Yeah, I mean, I think Saquon Barkley is going to be a really tough situation where you decide you kind of how high you want to go with him. If he's healthy, he can be easily be a top five you a know, top three guy. The question is, does he stay healthy? I had concerns with him coming out of college, whether he was more of a weapon than an actual running back. And I think that thing is kind of being shown in a lot of ways. He does run a little high. doesn't have the greatest vision when it comes to, you know, getting up the field with the ball. So I do think there is some concerns when it comes to is he great in the running game? Is he great in the not-getting-injured department? Probably no in both those accounts, but he's a hell of a playmaker. Well, I don't know if there I was... agree
3: with him not being great in the running game. The guy, the guy's phenomenal as far as his yards-per-carry average and explosive in, in, all, in all means. I don't know if There's, I agree just, with that.
1: No, well, I mean... At PFF with holes that were open for him, he actually struggled. He he, dance, he tends to kind of dance in the backfield. He doesn't hit the hole with authority. He doesn't have great vision. I mean, that's one of the knocks on Saquon Barkley. Is he explosive? Absolutely. Has he had big plays in his career? Absolutely. Is he consistently getting what's blocked for him? No. So that's where, I, where the difference is. Um, I think that there's, I'm not asking that question whether he's a big play player or not, questioning whether or not he's a rounded out running back. We talked about Zeke Elliott, talked about some other guys who definitely have better vision and have been more productive running the ball. Now, as all around weapon, I think Saquon's outstanding. And that's where I can't I can understand someone who's taking the top five. Yes, people have been burned, but if he is healthy, he's going to be highly productive. And they do have weapons on the outside, so you can't just key on Saquon like you have been able to in the past. So I do think there are some, it's, you can kind of argue either way. If you're a big St. Quam fan, you think he's going to be healthy for the season or most of the season, then go ahead and take him in the top five. If you have concerns about him injure, his injuries, if you have concerns about him being effective on the and running game, then, you know, maybe you wait and you tip, he's, he's still definitely a first rounder, no matter what. Um, my biggest concern would be when does he come back? And he's going to have some situations where he's still kind of a day to day. They keep talking about well, for the injury. Will he return before the season starts? They seem to kind of have, uh, you know, pretty good confidence he should be back for the season opener but it's not a guarantee and this is a guy you do kind of want to see get the rest off first because he hasn't really basically played football for most of a year now so that is something i do have a little bit of concern with is he going to be something that he's going to be healthy enough to start the season and if he's not then it gets really interesting and you can't you know take him in the top five at all
3: yeah i mean those are two things i wanted to add to this conversation one was that because they are being very coy. Saquon himself is being very coy about when he's actually going to be back. There's a lot of talk. You know, they still expect to be back week one. But there's a lot of conversation about, well, how much are you really going to be involved early in the season? It could be like the first month of the season. Where they maybe don't let him go, you know, full blown, and and just let him out of the gates and let him be the workhorse that we're used to seeing. Maybe they cut back. Maybe Devontae Booker is heavily involved for the first couple of weeks. Is that even the case? When in training camp he's going to be ready to go? Because you know they keep talking. Are you going to be back in first week of training camp? I don't know. We're talking about the timeline now. All reports as far as his rehab process has gone have all been and he's been on track and hasn't had any setbacks, but I find it interesting they're being very coy about his return. So that is one aspect of how healthy are you at the start of the season. The other thing I want to mention is that while yes, he's definitely going to be involved in the passing game. It's one of the things that makes Saquon Barkley great. There's a big everyone's go back to his rookie year, but there's a big dip between Eli Manning and Daniel Jones when it comes to checking down to the running back. And that's something that I think that cannot be ignored. Now, is it enough to where Saquon's not going to be, you know, a pass catching threat and establishing? No, it's not to that point. But is it enough to where you can't expect him to go in there and be Christian McCaffrey like and get 100 targets or even 90 targets? Yeah, I wouldn't expect that. I have him set for 66 targets over 14 games. It's about 80 targets over a 17-game season. So I don't have him there either. It's another factor just to kind of keep in mind. Saquon, yes, to your point, Saquon is a first-rounder. I'm not trying to argue that. We're trying to nitpick here and make sure if you have that top-five pick, you, it, you can't miss. You can't win necessarily off the top five pick, but you can lose off that top five pick if that doesn't go your way. And Saquon to me just has a lot of red flags where there's so many other directions you could go to. I don't know why he's the one that you would plant your flag on if you're in that situation. Now, if I'm in the bottom half of my first round, I have no problem taking Saquon Barkley there because you're taking a guy who does have RB1 potential if he's able to stay healthy all the way through the season but just a matter of managing value when it comes to these guys. There's just a lot of things to take in consideration for a guy who's being drafted that high, quite frankly. So we talked about Kenny Galladay. Is there any other wide receiver that you're drafting for 2021 on the Giants between Sterling Shepard or Darius Slayton? How
1: about hell? No. Yeah. Just not, I'm just not even, not even sniffing. Um, I think to me I, that's why I have confidence in Galladay. I think he is going to be the primary beneficiary of the play of the play calling and play uh, book. I think that they're going to design to play plays to him. That everybody thinks going to kind of be a show. Um, I think you're going to see this. You know, talk about Tony being Percy Harvin kind of player. We we've, we've seen Jason Garrett try to utilize you know athletic guys like in Dallas, and basically that means you're going to be involved in the occasional jet sweep. Um, Sterling Shepard basically is kind of in a situation where. Do they want him long term? Do they want to keep him? Do they want to move on, get younger? You got kind of guys waiting in the wing to kind of steal his playing time. So I kind of have concerns about how productive he can be week in, week out. The one I'm saddest about is Darius Slayton. I think Darius Slayton probably to me has the most upside other than Kenny Galladay on his team um, at receivers, but I don't know how much he'll actually be involved. I think he I think unfortunately for him, he, he's kind of kind of get pigeonholed into that Marquise Brown role where he's gonna run goes. Um, and basically his job will be to clear out everybody else so if something else can be opened up for Saquon or for the other receiver. Yeah, um, I mean, so even I last
3: year, he finished his wide receiver 55, and and frankly, he had every opportunity.
1: Yeah, so I, that's probably the best. Uh, he's probably the most upside and most physically gifted of the rest of the receivers. Um, they brought in John Ross. I think of all these guys are basically, they're, they're all showpieces, in my opinion, to kind of take away the attention from the key guys, which are Saquon Barkley and Kenneth Holiday.
3: Yeah, I agree. Outside of that, I don't know how many Giants I'm even interested in from a fantasy perspective. I like the town of Slayton. Unfortunately, I think the move with Kenny Galladay here. I don't know how much of a factor he's going to be this year or really any other year because I mean there's a chance they could be moving on. Sterling Shepard has been Daniel Jones's favorite target to this point because he plays the slot. I think he's still a guy that you could talk about having five plus targets a game. Uh, in this offense, especially because Jones is still his knack is still going to be to throw the ball short to throw the ball over the middle. That's that's where he's played. That's where he's most comfortable at. So I think Shepard's still going to be a factor as far as that goes. But even when he's the number one wide receiver, you're still talking about a wide receiver four. You know, in that situation, he's not a guy who scores a lot. He doesn't make a lot of big plays. He kind of just acts as a safety blanket over there. So, nothing exciting there. And then, when you add in the targets that get taken away with Kenny Galladay and Saquon Barkley being healthy, and, and of course, Shepard himself, who, you know, doesn't play a ton of games every single year either. You're lucky if he gets the double digit games, he's not really a factor. Uh, anything we want to say about Kadarius Tony, who we've been loving making fun of all offseason long?
1: Well, like I said, I, I think his his biggest involvement is going to be he'll have an occasional jet sweep opportunity or occasional fake jet sweep opportunity. That's pretty much what we're going to get out of him. This guy isn't a great route runner. I don't think he's a pure receiver in a lot of ways. And I think people are kind of expecting because he's so explosive, quote unquote, that he's going to be able to do something his rookie year. We've seen guys like this before that come into the league and basically do nothing. Um, And it kind of reminds me of Chenault in the situation last year in Jacksonville where everybody had a lot of high hopes for him coming right off the bat. And basically his big thing was, you know, seven catches, 47 yards. I think you'll see, you know, some effort to try to get in the ball sometimes, but I think overall, this is where Jason Garrett's lack of creativity will kick in. And that's why I figured like nobody else is going to eat. And I think it was basically a waste to pick in a lot of ways too. I think should upgrade a lot of, of positions other than receiver.
3: A waste pick is putting it nicely. It was a joke. It was a joke that David Gettleman drafted a Kadarius Tony. When you just brought in Kenny Galladay, you already have Shepard and Darius Slate. You need offensive line help. You need defensive help. You bring a Kadarius Tony, a guy who only works if you have a creative offensive mind, which you have Jason Garrett, he doesn't get, you know, I, and maybe Adam Gase is the only person I can think of that's even worse than Jason Garrett. I don't know. They might be on the same playing field, quite frankly. It's, it's an absolute joke of a pick. I'll say this. I think Darius Tony will be a little bit more involved in what you're saying because I think they'll just throw him out there in the slot position when Sterling Shepard gets hurt and just have him be out there on the field. So, as the only added caveat, I'll have that. It, it, yeah kadarius tony is a nothing is a zero and it we've seen this time and time again these guys who people deem as these athletic playmaker types but don't really fit any one particular mold and what happens well guess what when you don't actually we're not actually able to play a particular position well you don't work out in the NFL because this is in college. We don't play you in multiple positions in the NFL like they do in college and let you go about and just be a playmaker. It doesn't work that way. And I don't know when people are not going to get that Yeah, Darius Tony's a waste. Last thing we'll talk about. We'll just touch on it kind of quickly. Evan Ingram, his ADP is good. His ADP is tight end 15. I have him ranked at tight end 15. This guy, I hope he gets the hell out of New York. Next year, I hope he goes somewhere else. I love the talent. I think he can be a really great fantasy tight end if he goes anywhere else, but then Jason Garrett. We actually talked about this a little bit on Tuesday night. Garrett's used to these Jason Witten types who block, who run option routes, run these five-yard patterns. Evan Ingram has to be able to stretch the seam. He's a playmaker down the field. He's a Jared Cook type. If you tell him he can only run short intermediate routes, you're taking away the best part of his game, and he doesn't block on top of it. Which is why I think they brought in Kyle Rudolph, which will be even more of a problem for an Evan Ingram, I believe, this season. There are other tight ends, believe it or not, this year, if you know, if things go as close to expected as they possibly can be. There actually might be some tight ends this year. It might not be the devastating wasteland that it has been for the past few seasons. Once you get outside of the top five, there's a lot of guys with upside in the Evan Ingram range that I'd much rather take a chance on than an Evan Ingram. I'm just looking at it right now. He's, he's tight in 15. ADP, tight end 14, Tyler Higbee. I have him in the top 10. Much rather have a Tyler Higbee. Much rather have a Robert Tunyon, whose ADP is tight end 18. Much rather have a Jared Cook himself in the Chargers. In his situation, we'll talk about him later, whose ADP is tight end 19. There's a lot of other guys that just have way more upside than an Evan Ingram, in my opinion.
1: Yeah, I mean, I feel bad for Evan Ingram. I think he has some talent. He reminds me of MD Nation remembers Julius Thomas you know, from Denver. When he went to Jacksonville and he went to Miami, basically he became that option route runner, and he, was, he went from a guy who was able to stretch the field and be a big playmaker and red zone guy to a guy that basically had four or five catches for 12 yards. I mean, that's what kind of happened to Evan Ingram, where he's not able to utilize his best skill, which is being able to attack the seam, being able to stretch the field, being a guy that can kind of you know, go get the ball and be explosive. Um, in this offense, he basically had his opportunity to shine last year. They did target him quite often and still didn't have good numbers at all. So I think that when you look overall, going into this year with the added weapons, more playmakers, he's actually going to be the one who probably suffers the most because, as you even added, they even have Kyle Rudolph out there who could actually be a blocker now. And we know Jason Garrett likes to have guys who can block. So I think that you're going to kind of see Evan Ingram rather be somebody that kind of has phased out the offense or perhaps even traded it at some point this season because I do think another team would benefit from having him. Imagine him and some, you know, some of the other teams um, that could use a tight end. But I think, like, the Colts, for example – but I think when you look at him, he's some guy that you basically, you love the talent. Maybe he'll have a big week here or there. But overall, he's not somebody you're even looking to draft at all.
3: All right, Chris. We spent way, way too much time on the Giants. Way too much time. Let's move on. Let's talk about the Baltimore Ravens. Which is, it's okay. Because while the Ravens have a lot of fantasy implications, I think they're actually pretty straightforward all in all. So let's talk with the big mama. Lamar Jackson of it all. His ADP is QB4. I have him ranked as QB2. I have him one spot behind Patrick Mahomes. Now, here's what I'll say. I literally have a one-point difference separating Lamar Jackson, Kyler Murray, and Josh Allen. So I have a one-point difference between those three quarterbacks for the number two. But I do have Lamar Jackson coming out on top. I have him getting over 1,000 yards for the third season in a row. Rushing, that is. And I have a little bit of an increase in passing. Just give me your synopsis on Lamar Jackson.
1: Yeah, so right now, I'm probably in a similar boat where I have Lamar Jackson, the number two quarterback on my board. I actually have him a little bit ahead of Dak Prescott. Uh, I have him definitely over Josh Allen and Kyle Murray. Um, I think what you're going to see is, you know, a guy who has a dual threat, he has a great floor as a result of that. Probably perhaps better than he did last year in a lot of ways. Because last year, I think there was some concerns, especially in the season with injuries. Well, I mean, he wound up still being a top five quarterback. People kind of forget that he was, you know, how how productive he was in the second half of the season. It's mostly because that first half of the season where he was still kind of getting over some kind of curious injury that he had in preseason that we didn't really understand we weren't really being informed about, but he wasn't. Just running to be at clear, all.
3: he finished as QB ten last year, just, just to make sure everyone's clear.
1: Sorry. Sorry, first quarterback QB ten. Um, but over the second half of the year, I meant to say he was actually top five quarterback. Um, but when you look at what he brought he actually did. He got better and better as the season progressed, and he's got a lot of playmakers now. So not only can you not focus on him in the running game like you're good and trying to take him away as a a threat to take off, but he also now that he has additional weapons, he can actually be the thrower that I think he's always been. You know, this guy always gets a bad knock about basically. He needs to switch positions. He isn't a true quarterback, blah, 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 blah. When he played in Louisville, he would run the Heisman not because he ran the ball, because he threw the ball and ran the ball. A lot of it was throwing part. Um, this guy can hit different targets. He is able to push the ball down the field. He's going to have an easier offense. The only thing that holds him back in a lot of ways is Greg Roman, I think. So that's when it comes down to what you think Lamar Jackson can do. If Greg Roman even opens up just a little bit more of his offense, with the playmakers they have in place and the depth that they actually have at the receiver, upgrading from people like Miles Boykin and Willie Snead, um, they added Sammy Watkins, to added Rashad Bateman in the draft. I think you're going to have a lot more guys who are able to, you know, be able to just take away attention and give him more clear throws and more easy lanes to kind of throw the ball, which is also going to help him run the ball more. He might not run it as much as as often, but he probably be just as effective because he'll have more big plays because teams are going to actually respect the pass a lot more than they have been.
3: Yeah, look, the the pass catchers they added signing Sammy Watkins, drafting Rashad Bateman, drafting Tillon Wallace, adding them to a Marquise Brown. Uh, a second-year Devin Duvernay, and of course you have Mark Andrews, who's the anchor of it all. From an NFL standpoint, should help. And from a fantasy standpoint, in Lamar's case, should help Lamar Jackson from a passing attack. I, the one thing they kept talking about, you know, they're going to open, they want to open up the passing game more. Well, yeah, you can't be any worse. You're 32nd in passing time, so no duh. But my problem with that is, how much more is that really? Because Greg Roman's still a run-first guy. Lamar Jackson is at his best when he gets to be unleashed in his legs. Last year, we talked about last year, weeks one to 11, QB 10, his pace, 3,000 yards, 3,100 yards passing, 24 passing touchdowns, 900 rushing yards, five rushing touchdowns. That was his, that would be his pace over 16 game season. The first 11 games, weeks 13 through 17, because he missed week 12 because he was on COVID list and unlike cam newton came back stronger after covid rather than weaker before covid but you know whatever weeks 13 through 17 he's QB2 way less passing yards his pace was only 2500 yards passing but 35 passing touchdowns was his pace 1300 yards rushing was his pace 13 rushing touchdowns was his pace let him run and all of a sudden red zone and all that everything opens up that's when he's at his best not necessarily passing the ball more the Ravens have a very good identity. Do they need to add more passing in there? Yes, they absolutely do. That's why the wide receivers are there to help out with that aspect. But if they lose their identity, I want—I wonder about the play calling of Greg Roman. We've seen this happen with him back with the 49ers, back with Colin Kaepernick. They got a B in their bonnet. They had to spread it out. But what happens is they wound up overcorrecting. They lost their identity completely and became a spread team, unfathomably. And the whole thing came crumbling apart. I don't want to see that happen here with the Baltimore Ravens. I do worry about that, not to a huge degree, but to some degree. I think Lamar Jackson is a better quarterback than Colin Kaepernick. That's why I don't worry about it too much. But I I think there's only so much you can do as far as putting the clamps on Lamar Jackson to not run the football. Because that's what he's going to do. It's a natural instinct for him. And as long as you tell him he can run, he will run, which is why I have him going over a thousand yards for the third season in a row. And I do have them amping up the passing attack a little bit more. I have him for almost 500 pass attempts. And and that's not just because of the 17-game season. That would be, if if it was a 16-game season, I essentially have them adding 60 more pass attempts onto the year. His average in 2019, when he had his 36 passing touchdowns and, and threw the ball a little bit more, he averaged about 27 pass attempts I got him going for about $29.30. I think it's a safe estimate to open it up to that much.
2: Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? ha! in my dentist's office.
0: That's all he needs to be QB
3: two. as long as he to do his thing. I don't think it needs to be more than that. I don't think it will be more than that. I think you're going to have all this talk about adding on the passing a little bit more. I think it's just go- or a lot more. And I think it's just going to be a little bit more because you can't get away from what it is that you do best to begin with. All these pass catchers help out Lamar Jackson. He's safe. There's, you know, some people out there that well, what if he makes the jump that Josh Allen did? I don't know if he quite makes that jump. I don't think he has to quite make the same kind of jump to be the quarterback that he can be. But the point is this, as long as he gets to run, he's a great red zone thrower because everything gets to open up. And as far as the pass catchers go, I'll just lump this into the Lamar Jackson conversation. I don't want to touch the wide receivers. I don't Sammy Watkins. He knows the offense. I think he'll be the most targeted guy at the beginning of the season. He won't play the full season, but I, and I think that with Rashad Bateman and Sammy Watkins and Marquise Brown, I think all those guys are going to get their turn or going to get their sprinkles. Mark Andrews is still the number one pass catcher in my eyes in this offense. He's still the one who has the big report with Lamar Jackson, especially in the red zone. He's still going to be the one that Lamar trusts the most to move the sticks because that's who he's gone to throughout his entire career to move the sticks. I don't think that changes when you bring in new faces necessarily. So, I love Lamar Jackson. I love what the weapons do for him. But outside of Mark Andrews, I'm still not touching these pass catchers.
1: Yeah, I mean, you look at Lamar, and I think that you brought up the stat. You know, it was two years ago. He led the league in pass touchdowns. I'm not looking for the volume to increase that much either. I just think it's a more of an effective passing game and not such a vanilla passing game, that's, that's that. what we saw last year. And that's where I think that you're going to see the upgrade in production. I think that you're not going to have a guy who's going to there and throw 5,000 yards or throw 50, 50 times a game or anything like that. But what I do think you're going to be able to see is to be much more effective and be able to push the ball down more of the field. And guys like Mark Andrews not be able to get double team and triple team basically, so that you can't put them in the ball. So you're forced to try to throw it to Willie Snead or somebody along those lines. Um, I think that's where you're going to see the difference in the production. It's necessarily that, you know, Greg Rowan's going to turn into a pass-happy guy or the Ravens are going to turn into a pass-happy team. But I think you see the production increase throughout the board, over the board for passing game overall, of, overall. Because of the guys who actually can get beat one on one coverage, and you have multiple guys who can do that, so he's going to be able to have easier reads. He's going to have easier throws. And he's going to have more big plays. So that's where I kind of see the pick the pickup. And I also think that you're going to see the return to the touchdowns and throwing wise. Um, because of his ability to run the ball and because of his ability to actually, you know, fake the RPO action with J.K. Dobbins and different guys they have in the backfield, Gus I. Words. So that you're going to have that threat of the running game that you still have to respect. And one of the things I like to say for Lamar, too, that is coming, you know, isn't talked about other than the weapons, they upgraded significantly in the offensive line. He got hit a lot last year. One of the most pressured quarterbacks in the league last year. They upgraded with Kevin Zider. They upgraded with the draft, you know, Big Daddy and, and the other guard from the drafted this year in Cleveland. So I think that when you look overall, the had a Villanueva from Pittsburgh. They did a much better job. They're going to much do a better job of protecting him and allowing him to have some time to throw the ball in the pocket versus basically have it one guy to look at and then run.
3: Yeah, I, I agree. Uh, would I be surprised if if one receiver can emerge to be the main featured guy consistently? Would I be surprised if one of these guys could maybe become a wide receiver, three wide receiver, four in 2021? no. But that's the point. So the upside there, even if one emerges, is that range. You're still not going to be looking at crazy upside after that. Now, 2022 Rashad Bateman will be having a different conversation. But for this year, I just I lean off the wide receivers. Mark Andrews still my guy. His ADP is tight end four. I have him actually ranked at tight end five. I have TJ Hawkinson one spot ahead of him, but I have them very, very close together. And There's a back and forth right now throughout the industry as far as which one's ahead of the other. I think they're about the same when it comes to value overall when you're drafting them anyway. But he's still going to be my number one pass catcher on this offense, especially when it comes to the touchdowns. Not much changes for me with Mark Andrews. To your point, I think he gets better cover. He gets more... Uh, favorable matchups in coverage and anything else. While there's more guys who spread the ball out too, again, I think his role is set, his target share is set in what it is, regardless of all that, especially if they up the ante a little bit, even if it's just by a couple, like three more pass attempts a game, uh, that'll be enough to keep Mark Andrews pretty much where he was last season, which was a tight end five. So I don't think he's healthy changes to That's
1: yeah. a big part for him as well. He was banged up last year a lot, and that's why, why his production had a little bit dip as well.
3: So the only other guy to talk about the Baltimore Ravens, which I'm very excited to buy is J.K. Dobbins. Uh, the, J.K. Dobbins, his ADP right now is RB14. I actually, I just updated my rankings because, you know, we had to take Cam Akers out. I think I wound up putting him, I did, I wound up putting him at RB11. So 12-man leagues, I have him as that low-end RB1. He's the guy, I'm like, if you're gonna sp- if you're going to throw the ball more, That's why I actually want you to throw the ball more too. Checking it down to the running back, throwing more screens to the running back, getting him involved. We know how explosive he is in Ohio State and what he can do in space and in screen game. That's why I want to get the more targets too. Last year, once Mark Ingram exited the picture, and it was just the the JK Dobbins and Gus Edwards show, which was from week eight to seventeen, he was RB9. His pace was 1,300 rushing yards, 14 rushing touchdowns, but only 20 targets at 12 receptions. Give me 20 more targets. If you can give me 20 more targets, I will show you a top 10 running back next season. That's all I really need because I don't want him to have to be that great on the ground to count on him being a top 10 running back, which is actually why I have him at RB11, ultimately speaking. I am projected for uh, a little over 1,100 yards, 10 rushing touchdowns. I do have him getting a few extra targets. That's why I wound up with him at RB11. Just give him 20 more targets, and I'm going to show you a top 10 running back. But that's what's so nice about J.K. Dobbins. I think his... Floor of that low in RB1, high in RB2 is so safe. I think you can count on it. I'm not worried about injuries with J.K. Dobbins, at least not as of now. Love the offense, love the situation. For all this talk out there in the industry lately about rushing quarterbacks, taking away touchdowns from the running backs, J.K. Dobbins had his best touchdown run of anybody. when on a six-game streak. Was absolutely phenomenal in that stretch where they let Lamar Jackson run all over the place. When Lamar Jackson himself was getting all those rushing touchdowns, J.K. Dobbins got seven touchdowns in that stretch. It wasn't a problem with that. So J.K. Dobbins, I love him. I think he has one of the safest floors as a low in RB one, high in RB two. The upside is there if they just throw him the ball a little bit more. I don't know if it's going to happen, but he's as safe as they come in the second round.
1: Yeah, I think I think J.K. Dobbins is the prototypical ideal RB two for you this year. You know, stiff in the RB one range, but. You look at 2019 when Mark Ingram did it in this offense, and I think he's going to have a very similar role. Went over 1,000 yards, had 10 touchdowns. So, you know, the narrative, like you're saying, about the running quarterback, and let's not forget Lamar led the league in passing touchdowns that year as well. He still had double-digit touchdowns. So they're not going to go away. The Ravens are continuing to be effective the running game. So that's what he kind of reminds me of, where I have concerns, where people are kind of, you know, is he going to be as good in the PPR league? He probably wouldn't be because I do have concerns about how involved well in the passing game he'll be. Um, and I also have concerns when it comes to, will he get, you know, he's guaranteed 20 touches? No. But Mark Ingram was very effective with his 15 to 17 touches a game. And that's pretty much what you're going to see. I think J.K. Dobbins basically be able to emulate in a lot of ways. Mark Ingram averaged about five yards per carry. You know, J.K. Dobbins averaging was six yards per carry la- last year. And that continues, but around, you know, over five, is more than likely going to probably be the number. So a lot of ways, I think what you got out of Mark Ingram in 2019, but you're going to get J.K. Dobbins in 2021
0: just a
3: way more explosive player. So what we're going to do right now is take a quick break, come back on the other side. We still have the Saints and the Chargers to talk about along with the mailbag segment. So everybody stay tuned on the Worldwide Sports Radio Network, and we'll be right back after this.
0: It it, is the Worldwide Sports Radio Network. You're listening to the MD's Fantasy Football Show on the Worldwide Sports Radio Network.
3: Hey, everybody. Welcome back. You are listening to the MD's Fantasy Football Show on the Worldwide Sports Radio Network, WWSRN, also presented to you by Belly Up Sports. As always, I'm your host, Dan Mater. joined here with Chris Dauhauer on the MD's Fantasy Football Show, and we're talking about a team profile series. We're talking about the Giants' And the Ravens in the first half of today's show. Now we're going to be getting into the Saints and the Chargers and the mailbag segment. And we'll let you guys know how to get on the mailbag segment for future episodes in just a little bit. But Chris, before we get off, our our sponsor for our second half of the show today is actually... Monkey Knife Fight. We haven't talked about them in a little bit of a while, but Monkey Knife Fight is a daily fantasy sports gaming website with a number of unique ways to win money on your favorite sports and players. It's a mix of daily fantasy and prop games. Download the app or go to monkeyknifefight.com. And when you use the promo code BellyUp, you'll be able to get a dollar to dollar match of up to $100. That's potentially an instant $100 free. For you to play today. So use the promo code BellyUp on monkeyknifefight.com or download the app on your Play Store and play Monkey Knife Fight. It's actually a lot of fun. It's really easy too because you kind of just like click and play and just be done with it. You don't have to think about it too much. A lot of a lot, like a lot of the prop games, especially when I get on their app. All right, so Chris, we're talking about the Saints. In a weird way, we actually kind of had a mini Saints preview because of how many players I had of theirs that were undervalued because we were talking about the top 10 undervalued players on our boards on Tuesday night when we talked about the Belly Up Fantasy Live football show on every other Tuesday at 8.30 on Belly Up Fantasy. So with the Saints... What are you looking at here? What, what is the big thing that you come away with when you're looking at James Winston, Taysom Hill conundrum? We'll, we'll talk about that first because that's going to be the biggest thing we're going to follow probably throughout training camp when it comes to this team.
1: I mean, my fingers are crossed that this is going to be James Winston's job. I think that he's clearly the more talented quarterback, and I love his fit in this team. Um, I think that when you look around the weapons he has in place – He's got enough weapons to be successful. I'm not worried about the turnovers. I think Sean Payton will kind of, you know, rein him in a little bit. I think Taysom Hill is kind of what he is in the sense he's, he's, a, he's a trickster. He's able to kind of keep you on your toes. He's able to tie multiple positions. I don't think he's a great quarterback. So I hopefully he's not the starter because I do think that will dampen some of the protection and passing specifically. But overall, this narrative that Drew Brees is gone now, the Saints offense is going to fall off the face of the earth for some reason, I'm just dumbfounded by seems like Alvin Kamara is not going to be good anymore. Michael Thomas is basically done. So they're, they're, they have no guy stepping up in the wings. And, you know, Adam Trotman was very skilled and very very good player in college, had a lot of pedigree in a sense. He hasn't, he hasn't got opportunity to be the key guy who will be the key guy this year. So I look at this offense, and I expect the same old, same old my way for the scenes, if not an improvement. If James Winston's quarterback, let's not forget the guy can actually push the ball down the field, which Drew Brees hasn't been able to do for about four or five years now. So I expect actually the offense to be actually more explosive, maybe not have so many 15, 17 play drives, maybe not be so predictable where it's only doing the same thing over and over again because you can only do, you know, push the ball basically 10 yards down the field. So I expect that there's going to be an increase. The one thing that might change a little bit, maybe Michael Thomas won't get 150 catches because he actually may have similar yardage, but he'll actually get down the field more often.
3: Yeah, you're hitting the nail on the head. Do people not realize... How conservative this offense had to be with Drew Brees the past couple of seasons because he just could not throw the ball past you know, 15, 20 yards consistently anymore. It's like it's lost on people. They think Drew Brees goes away and this whole offense falls apart. Sean Payton is still an excellent offensive mind. Michael Thomas is still an excellent wide receiver. Alvin Kamara is still an excellent running back. They still have a very good offensive line in this team. I, I, I don't get why this offense suddenly crumbles because Drew Brees leaves. Jameis Winston, to your point, 2019, when he had his 30-interception year that everybody loves to point to, he finishes QB3. 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 That's where he finished in 2019. Because from a fantasy perspective, he still throws a lot of touchdowns. He still throws the ball down the field. And that's one of the things I like about him. Yes, the, the interceptions get in his way, but he has the gunslinger confidence where he will put it behind him and throw it down the field. Now, do I think he can throw 30 interceptions and get away with it with the saints and not get benched? No, I think that we'll see some conservativeness as far as that goes, but I do not think Sean Payton in his right mind looks at Taysom Hill and thinks my offense will run better through him. We got to see it last year in over four game stretch. Were they able to get by and win games? Yeah, they were because they have very good defense, and they were able to comp- to to build an offense that was able to do enough to keep them in games. They also had, if you go back and look, they also had a pretty nice, easy schedule during that little stretch as well. That doesn't hurt at all with Taysom Hill. There, they went back to playing pretty much a wing T offense. Do you think Sean Payton, the creative mind that he is, wants to go wants to turn the clock back twenty years in his offense for the entirety of the season? No. Jameis Winston's what's best for that offense. Jameis Winston's the one who's going to play. And not only do I have Jameis Winston as QB 12 in his own right, because I have him starting. So I have him as a low end QB one with these weapons out there. But to your point, what you just picked upon, this opens up a whole level of the field that Michael Thomas hasn't been allowed to play. Michael Thomas doesn't just run slant routes and underneath routes because that's all he can do. He did that because it's all Drew Brees could throw in the football to. I mean, Traquan Smith, Marquez Callaway, all these guys they put on the other side to be these deep threats. Not, I do think they're just mediocre wide receivers, but the other part of why they were never really that big involved on a consistent basis is because Drew Brees isn't throwing on the ball down the field on a consistent basis. So my, Michael Thomas, suddenly now he has the field open up to him. I have Michael Thomas as the wide receiver four. This year his ADP is wide receiver. nine. 149 targets, 112 receptions, 1300 yards and nine touchdowns. He's not going to go another year. Where he doesn't throw touchdowns and we can just you could take last year, crumple it up, throw it out. What we had two years ago, maybe he doesn't hit 180 targets again. He doesn't need to. This is still one of the top receivers in the league. I love Jameis Winston. I love Michael Thomas. What do, what do you think about these two guys?
1: Yeah, I mean, I think that they're both a great fit. I mean, we saw. James Winston have success with you know Mike Evans. I think Michael Thomas brings a lot of similar things to the table. And overall, people seem to forget Drew Brees missed quite a few games over the last couple of years as well. So it's not like the first time we've never seen the offense without him as a quarterback position and see how effective these guys still were. Teddy Bridgewater played quarterback and was captain check down and was very, very conservative for the Saints two years ago. And yet Alvin Kamara and Michael Thomas still ate very well, all those games that he played. So though, no matter what, these guys will be – they're prime beneficiaries of offense from Sean Payton's play calling. It's been traditionally that way. He has his number one receiver. He features that guy. doesn't matter who the quarterback is. And Alvin Kamara is a monster. So I don't understand how people are acting like we never seen the offense without Drew Brees, why the things are going to fall off the cliff all of a sudden, or the Saints are going to have to all of a sudden be some kind of different team. We've already seen this play out over the last couple of years, so we're just going to see an actual upgraded quarterback where you don't have a Teddy Bridgewater being Captain Checkdown, you have a James Winston who can throw the ball down the field and be just as aggressive and be more aggressive.
3: Yeah, I'm glad you touched upon Alvin Kamara as well. Alvin Kamara is one of those players. I think there's a there's a difference between the reality of where he's being valued and drafted to the narrative on him. And you get you get this sometimes, especially in the summer, where guys will get negative narratives on them, but in reality, they're still going where they should. Uh, his ADP is RB four. I have him ranked at RB three. As long as he's going in your top five, you're not undervaluing Alvin Kamara. There's this narrative out there of, of concern of if it's Taysom Hill. You know, people are worried about well, if Kamara's not getting all these targets and all these catches that he was getting under Drew Brees, is he still the same running back? I kind of thought he answered that question last year to some degree when Taysom Hill was playing. You now during that four game stretch. Alvin Kamara was still RB10. Now, yeah, you you want Kamara to be in the top five of running backs, but for an offense that had to completely change overnight and didn't have as many passing attacks, he was still RB10. He'll get more carries if Taysom Hill were to, quote-unquote, be the quarterback. Now, do I hope, just to put it all the rest, that James Winston's the quarterback for Alvin Kamara's sake just so we know we're getting what we're getting? Yeah, I do. Winston has no problem getting it to the running back either. This offense is still going to be built around Kamara catching the ball out of the backfield. He's their second-best pass catcher, their their second-best weapon, probably their best offensive weapon overall, but their second-best pass catcher to Michael Thomas. That doesn't suddenly change. Sean Payton doesn't forget about that. So I'm not worried about Alvin Kamara. He's a superstar. He's a superstar talent. It, when, these, when these guys reach the level of Kamara where everybody else in the field just looks like they're so much slower than him, I'm not worried about his output. I'm not worried about who's under center when it comes to these guys. He'll be fine. He'll be just fine. Like I said, I have him ranked at RB3. For the first time ever, I have him getting over 200 carries in his career this year. I do think this is the year he finally gets over 200 carries. I do think this is the first year he finally goes over 1,000 rushing yards. Still have him getting 100 targets on top of all that. He'll be just fine. Top five. Lock him in, no matter who the quarterback is, but especially with Jameis Winston.
1: I think he even has a chance to be improved in some of his efficiency numbers and big play numbers with Jameis Winston in the quarterback position because teams won't be able just to key on them. Yeah, basically, the, the seeds are playing in a box, and that's you know, basically what they were. They were sitting in a box waiting for an option around Alvin Kamara. Having the actual threat of guy, a guy who can actually push the ball down the field or if Adam Trapman steps up and you know, can be productive like you think he can be, then you have a guy who can take some of the linebackers out of the way too. Alvin Kamara has a chance to actually be even more explosive this year without Drew Brees.
3: Yeah, that's the key. What happens when defenses actually have to play down the field against the Saints? I think it will be very, very interesting to find out. So here's the one guy that we got. So we have cleared the air on Michael Thomas is a value top guy and should be. Alvin Kamara is a value top guy and should be. Here's a guy who's a sleeper. Right now his ADP is tight end 23, and I'm talking about Adam Troutman. I have him cracking the top 10. He's been a big sleeper of mine all year long. I'm staying consistent on that. There's nobody else in that tight end position to take away targets. The tight end position is always something that gets at least featured in the red zone, but always has a significant role in the Sean Payton offense. I love this guy's athletic profile. I love the fact that he's been in the league for a year already. Has I love the fact that he could actually block a little bit, which means he's not going to be taken off the field in any of the given situations. I'm a big Adam Troutman fan. Where are you at on Adam Troutman, Chris?
1: Yeah, I'm a fan too. I mean, coming out of college, I thought he was one of the better tight ends because that came out that year. I think that he's a good route runner. I think he can do a little bit of everything. He's not a guy who's gonna run like a four or four, so he's not a Kyle Pitts out there or anything like that. He's not a slot guy. No, he's not an actual legitimate tight end. But to your point, he's gonna be effective in the red zone. We've seen guys, you know, Josh Hill, different guys play tight end, even tight taste and play tight end for the Saints. So you using the tight end position can be utilized, especially in the red zone. And I expect the yardage to go up a lot more with a James Winston as a quarterback. You know, we know who Kevin Raitt is today because James Winston was a quarterback. So I think a lot of things we saw Kevin Raitt do, a lot of things Troutman could do would be probably even a little bit better. So I think that overall, he's definitely a sleeper. I think he's a guy you definitely want to keep on your your radar. Um, and I think that while a lot of tight ends are getting the hype, this guy's kind of been forgotten about. My only concern would be that Sean Payton seems to be kind of hot and cold when it comes to tight ends and the usage. We saw that with Cook. We saw that with um, Kobe Fleener. We saw some different tight ends. And since Jimmy Graham has moved on, We've seen kind of tight end become a position that sometimes is features, sometimes it's not. So that's my only concern about Troutman's upside, but overall I do think that he's going to be very productive and where he's going right now. I think he's a steal.
3: Yeah. I mean, I'll say to that point, 2018, Jared cook was tight end seven, 2019. He was, uh, or or last I'm sorry 2019 he was tight end seven 2020 he was tight end 19 so to kind of just go to your point there I'll show on Sean Payton whether you're featuring the tight end or not sometimes it could be the same guy and it goes back and forth but I, I Adam Troutman is the guy I have a lot of confidence in and when you're talking about Jameis Winston again banking on him being the quarterback I'm very confident about that in 2018. While Howard and Cameron Brate didn't finish as a quote-unquote tight end one, that's because they were eating into each other. O.J. Howard, in 10 games that year, still finished overall at the end of the season, not not during the games that he played, overall at the end of the season when everybody played their full games, still finished as tight end 13 in 10 games played. So he missed six games of production, still finished just outside the tight end ones. Oh, and by the way, Cameron break was tight at 19 that year. Winston will get the quarter, we get the tight ends involved. I'm not worried about that aspect of it. Adam Troutman, one of my big sleepers of the year. If the tight end, the the narrative on tight ends is very, very true when it comes to draft strategy. I either want the very best or I just want to draft them late. Because pretty much once you get outside, the top five tight ends are all the same, essentially on a week to week basis. So Adam Troutman's that guy. Or right now, if he stays at the ADP, he's not getting drafted at all. I'll take him as the last tight end. I'll pick him up as my you know, early in the season streamer, wherever the case may be. I, I probably will draft him as the last guy, and I will bank on him being a top 10 tight end or a guy that will be a very good streaming option that I can pair him with someone else during the season if I have to. But sky's the limit, I believe, for an Adam Troutman to really make a name for himself this season. Chris, let's move into the Chargers here, AFC West. Everybody wants to talk about where's Justin Herbert going to go. Had a phenomenal rookie season. It's not debatable at all. His ADP right now is QB six. I think that's insane. Personally, what do you think about Justin Herbert this year?
1: I'm with you in the QB six. I mean, I think Justin Herbert is, you know, borderline top 10, maybe top, you know, definitely in the top 15, but I don't think that this, he's even close to being a top six quarterback this year. I think the volume is going to decrease in a lot of ways that it was from last year. And I think that the big plays won't be as often as he had last year. This guy benefited from a lot of big touchdown passes, a lot of yards down the field, where I do think teams are going to kind of is, is kind of do for some regression in that stretch of the means. We kind of saw as the season progressed, and he let the world on fire. But as the season kind of unwound and teams started taking away Keenan Allen in his first read and teams kept guys in front of him, he wasn't nearly as productive as he had been. So I do think Justin Herbert is being a little overvalued because of his rookie year. We saw something kind of similar, you know, numbers weren't quite a little definitely better than Daniel Jones, but Daniel Jones had a great rookie year. People kind of wanted to jump on the hype, hype train after that. And we're already going to you know, take them super high in the draft. And I think that it kind of backfired. Justin Herbert's a guy that you go into a new system has different play calling. Um, isn't going to be catching the teams off guard in a sense. Teams actually have a whole year to kind of watch tape on him. So, he made some amazing throws on the face of pressure last year. They did upgrade the offensive line. Um, but I'm, I'm curious to see if Justin Herbert's able to sustain what he did last year. I don't think he improves on it. So that's why I think the top six finish is a little bit you know, strange to me.
3: Yeah, I don't see why he has that kind of upset. Look, the fact of the matter is this. The Chargers don't have a litany of weapons. They have some good ones. Keenan Allen's a good one. Austin Eckler's a good one. Jared Cook's serviceable. We still really haven't seen a good Mike Williams, to be perfectly honest. And maybe a Jalen Guy, maybe a Josh Palmer can help them with a a deep threat. It's not a litany of weapons here. I also think it's kind of interesting that it seems like the coaching change, as far as the effects that that can have, is getting thrown by the wayside. A lot of times when you go through a coaching change, you have to go through an adjustment period. You're talking about a guy who was a rookie quarterback who had no offseason last year. Now has to change his his play calling again, has to change his playbook again. I think that matters. I think it also matters that it's Joe Lombardi. Justin Herbert was decent last year because he consistently attacked Keenan Allen, but he was also consistently going down the field. Lombardi, if he if he brings over what he did with, with Saints, what they did there, if he brings over what he did back in 2014 when he was the offensive coordinator for the Detroit Lions, it was mostly a dink and dunk system, mostly a spread it out system. I don't want Herbert to be a 45 pass attempt guy. I don't especially if it's going to be dink and dunk down the field all the whole time, set him up for play action, set him up for rollouts. Because to your point, what we saw at the end of the season, when people started just keying in on Keenan Allen, if he's got to get off that first read, he's still having some difficulty in doing that. I compare him more to a Baker Mayfield who, lit the world on fire, his rookie season, and then came back down to reality. Even last year when Mayfield was a quote unquote, good NFL quarterback, he still was a zero for fantasy purposes. I have Herbert ranked as QB, 14. I don't have him in my top 12. I think he is—he's a streaming tight end or a streaming quarterback. I think he will be somebody you can play, but ultimately, I think he is a more of a high-end QB too. I think you are looking at a sophomore regression when it comes to Justin Herbert. Keep in mind, a lot of times when these when these rookies perform, and this goes across the board, this isn't just quarterback, but when these rookies really perform well their rookie season, now all of a sudden everybody has tape on you. They adjust to you. Now, the great ones will overcome it anyway. I don't know if I put Herbert in that category. A lot of times you're going to see players take a step back that second year. And then that third year, we'll see if they can adjust to the adjustments. And that's that's what will make them great down the road in their career. But that second year, a lot of times it's regression for them, for the guys who went off unexpectedly in their rookie season. I expect no different for Justin Herbert. I think there will be an adjustment with the new coaching change on top of it. He'll, he'll be a good streamer. He'll be a good QB, too. I don't see the same Herbert that you got last season. I see more of the one you got in the second half of last year. Plain and simple.
1: Yeah, and I think I just want to point out, one of the things that's interesting at the quarterback position is with different guys and how they play, Justin Herbert was fantastic under pressure last year. Yeah. Oddly enough, um, the offensive lines improved. That might actually be a little bit of an issue for how he plays in a sense because I think he does better when he doesn't think. I think you kind of seen teams like this is kind of Patriot style in the sense where Belichick a lot of times will just kind of keep guys in the pocket and make them throw. Like, so he tries to do it with Mahomes a lot and make him kind of pick them apart in the zones. Justin Herbert I think struggles in that kind of role. I think he's a quick read guy and he's able to kind of react well, but if he has to think and kind of process different things, I think he actually can struggle. So that's where I do have some. I think it be very interesting to your point where it's changing in coaching, which be more of a think dunk system and more of a complicated system more than likely. Um, and it's also going to be a system where. He's not maybe not under pressure as much because his offensive line improved, but that might actually be a backfire a little bit on him in some ways.
3: Well, you hit a head in the nail with the, the Bill Belichick. I mean, his worst game of the year was against the Patriots last year. He was absolutely horrible in that game when they sat there and, to your point, made him have to think, made him have to make reads. And that's where it all fell apart for him last year. So it'll just be it'll be interesting to see going into this season. I'm not high on Justin Herbert. Maybe I'll get proven wrong. That's one guy that I do leave the door open that I, I I say, you know what, maybe I could get proven wrong on this guy because I was not a Justin Herbert fan going in. So I will freely admit that I might have some bias coming into the situation, but objectively stating it out, I don't see the same kind of season we saw last year, especially with some of the other quarterbacks coming into the league and with the situations that are out there. But one guy who I'm very interested in, who I have torn feelings on is Austin Eckler. He finished last year's RB29 in 10 games. That's pretty impressive when you only play 10 games to finish as a mid-level RB3. He's got a 5-to-1 injury rate ratio. I have him missing three games. So that has to get baked into his rankings for his projections. His ADP is RB10. I have him ranked at RB13. So just outside that RB1 range is high-end RB2. The thing You know what you're getting with Austin Eckler. He's getting a lot of targets. Herbert showed he was willing to throw him the ball a lot. We talked about the coaching change. That That's one player that the coaching change does actually benefit quite a bit because he's coming from a system that's built around getting your running back the ball in space, throwing the ball to your running back. I don't see why he would try to utilize Austin Eckler much differently than they utilized Alvin Kamara in New Orleans, quite frankly. And you always know that Austin Eckler. That's one of the things that makes him so safe when he's on the field is because of how much you know he's going to be involved in that passing game. And... The extra benefit there is, even though he's a smaller guy, even though he's known more maybe as a pass catcher, because they don't really have another running back who's that great, Joshua Kelly, they drafted Larry Roundtree in the second round, uh, the sixth round, he gets more carries than a guy of his stature normally would anywhere else in the NFL. So my thing is this, when you're looking at Austin Eckler, do you feel safe drafting him, let's say, in the second round?
1: Me personally, no. Um, my problem with Austin Michael, and PPR leagues, a full point PPR leagues. I would, because I think you, to your point, he's definitely gonna be heavily involved in the passing game. That always kind of be his MO, but the touchdowns concern me. The Lack of the of touchdowns really concern me. This guy's going to have, he has great floor, but how high is the actual ceiling? When you, when you take away, how effective is he going to be in the red zone? Is he going to have enough touchdowns to kind of keep himself afloat from week to week? One of the things about running back positions, a lot of times, sometimes they may have a bad game, but if they fall into the end zone two or three times and you're fine. This guy doesn't really necessarily have the same kind of situation set up for him, and I do wonder is he going to have some kind of, you know, he doesn't really stay healthy either. So I think it's a knock. I also have a problem taking him in the second round. So why do you think Austin Eckler has a lot of talent? I think he's you know, definitely a, a strong RB too. I don't like him in the second round because I do think there's other guys who I have more faith in, and especially some of these guys who I think have more opportunity than we kind of thought. The J.K. Dobbins, and Anthony Gibson. Um, so I look at different guys where I don't I like actually more than Eckler. But I don't think he's you know, going to fall off the face of the earth necessarily. But I had legitimate concerns about how effective he is because he doesn't score touchdowns.
3: Yeah, I mean, that's never really been part of his game. It's about the volume, the yardage, the the, the receptions and stuff like that, half-point, full-point PPR games. He, he's a safe player. But to your point, that's a great point, he, he doesn't have that upside. You know, these other second-round running backs, the guys going around his territory are guys like Joe Mixon. J.K. Dobbins, DeAndre Swift, Clyde Edwards Lair, Najee Harris. Those are all guys that are kind of in the same range of an Austin Eckler. I haven't ranked at 13, but I would make the argument that all those guys I just listed have more upside, have actual RB1 upside more so than an Austin Eckler does. Now, here's the one caveat that I'll throw. If Eckler could actually be healthy for an entire season, I think there's a good chance he could he would finish as a top 10 running back given his role in the offense. But I I just think that's so far from, not just from a given, but from a, a reality of possibly happening, that he just becomes a guy that I think you can get what you can get. I'd rather have him as a high-end RB2, and I'd rather be able to draft him in that third round. But you know what you're going to get for him at a week-to-week basis. I do like the offensive situation that he's rolling into when it comes to Austin Eckler. I mean, do you, would you take any of those guys that just listed over him or or all
1: of them? Well, I think I take all of them over him. Um, but I also agree with you. I think he's got a good role. I think his floor is really strong. I mean, you look at the thing I think that people are kind of maybe forgetting about with Austin Eckler is he's not guaranteed to be a bell cow in a sense because he's never going to doesn't have the body to do that. But also he hasn't done that. And his offense hasn't really changed either. We seen Latavius Murray. We see you know talk about Alvin Kamara finally getting 200 carries, finally going over a thousand yards. So as we're also kind of have kind of a similar situation, he's got to overcome in a lot of ways. So he has to be super effective in that passing game. And if he's not, it could be you know some trouble for you week to week.
3: Yeah, uh, I want to move to Keenan Allen. He is he he falls in the line of a Michael Thomas, Devontae Adams, guys that you know are going to get targeted heavily and he's one of the guys that you could actually say like, you might get double-digit targets on a per-game basis as your average. The thing that keeps him from being that you know, upper-echelon type of wide receiver like those guys are or can be is because he just doesn't get those touchdowns. But he's probably as safe as they come when it comes to these wide receivers that you're talking about, his ADP is wide receiver 11. I have him ranked at wide receiver 17. I'm probably being a little bit safe on him, kind of more implementing the regression that I'm expecting out of a Justin Herbert. But I have him for 131 targets, 90 receptions, 1,100 yards, six touchdowns. That's pretty much money in the bank when it comes to Keenan Allen. I don't think the coaching change, nor Herbert, really changes what Keenan Allen is. And he could be one of the safe guys that you take in that, second, third round as that strong wide receiver too.
1: Yeah, I mean, I don't know if MD Nation remembers a guy named Reggie Wayne. That's what Keenan Allen reminds me a lot of statistically how he does. Reggie Wayne was a guy who was going to get you 1,000 yards, was going to get you 90 catches, wasn't going to necessarily get you double the touchdowns, but he's always going to get open and always kind of be effective. PPR purposes, Keenan Allen's a monster. But when he comes down to standard leagues or other leagues, you're, you are concerned about the touchdowns, you're concerned about the big plays, um, but the volume's always going to be there because this guy gets open, he runs great routes. The only thing I would say about Keenan Allen is that last year when one of a few years he's been actually more healthy than he has been in a while. Usually Keenan Allen was a guy that people loved and always take him in the first three rounds and always kind of screwed your team in some kind of senses because he never lasted or played long enough to be worth that high of a pick. So it's your only concern that he was healthy last year, but Keanu does struggle over time kind of being healthy. So you're kind of worried about that. But last year, the guy was, you know, clearly Justin Herbert's favorite target. I don't think that changes at all. his offensive changes.
3: Yeah, I actually uh, that's actually not true. So that's actually um, that's a myth that's kind of out there on him. He's played 16 games, three of the last four seasons. So he's he's been out there. Uh, it was a long time ago. It was 2016, actually, the last time he missed a significant amount of time. He had 2015, 2016. He had those back-to-back years where he missed. But the last four, three out of four seasons, he's played 16 games. So he's actually a little more durable, I think people realize, fr- from that fact. But he just doesn't have a ton of upside, which is why he doesn't really go higher than that third-round territory most of the time, high-end wide receiver, too. Jared Cook, Chris, uh, I know where I'm at on Jared Cook. Where are you at on Jared Cook this year?
1: I'm not touching Jared Cook. I think there's more options at tight end that I'm more big on. And I think that I'd rather have on my team. I think he might be a great streamer here weekend or a couple weeks here or there, but I don't trust his usage. I mean, Hunter Henry kind of struggled to be involved in the offensive game, offensive game planning. We talked about Sean Payton kind of being hot or cold with tight end usage. I don't know if Joe Lombardi is going to necessarily feature his tight end. Jared Cook's always been a guy who has great speed. is able to have a big play, has some big games here or there and then disappear for three or four weeks. I see nothing changing for him. I think he's going to be similar to how he was in Oakland, similar to how he was in Green, Green Bay, similar to almost every team he's played for. He'll have a week or two where he's great, and everybody will get all excited about him, and then all of a sudden he'll go away for a couple of weeks. So, Jared Cook's a guy who for me is you kind of hope that you get the hot, you pick him up on the right time, and play him from a conservative streamer. He's not something that I would draft, not somebody I expect to be heavily involved in the offense, and he's not a guy that I think this is somebody that you need to actually target this year because I think there's a lot of tight ends that are better.
3: I don't think you're gonna to have to draft him because he's his ADP right now is tight end nineteen. So in those, you know, main twelve man leagues, half point VPR, you're not gonna to have to draft this guy. But I do have him actually ranked as tight end thirteen. I have him as a top end streamer this season. For me, Jared Cook has an upside potential here where when you get outside of Kean Allen, when you get outside of Austin Eckler, I do think that third pass catcher, who that's going to truly be, is up for grabs. I don't think it's a given that it's definitely Mike Williams. And even if Mike Williams does play well, he's another guy that you can't expect to play a full 17-game season either. So I think it's going to come down to, is it Mike Williams or Jared Cook as the red zone target? Last year, while Hunter Henry didn't get a lot of targets, he they did make sure they got him the ball in the red zone. I do think Herbert will look for Jared Cook in the red zone. I think this will just be he'll be a top end streaming type of guy. You don't have to draft. I would put him on your watch list in your redraft leagues, though, when you're streaming tight ends, his name is going to come up. I think he will be, he's a type of guy that it's it's every other year with a Jared Cook when he has a good season. It doesn't matter what team it's for. It's an every other year scenario. Last year, a little bit of a down year. So this year, going to the Chargers, being the one player, I do think this benefits a little bit. Being the one player who's going to be familiar with the offensive system coming into it, I think might give him a little bit of advantage as well. I don't know if you have anything you want to add as a closing statement to that.
1: I was just going to say, I mean, I don't have the same debate in my mind. I think Mike Williams is clearly the number two receiver in this offense. I don't think Jerry Cook will be.
3: I think we need to see some development out of Mike Williams finally before I'm willing to give him any kind of crease whatsoever, which is kind of why I skipped over him. He's, he's His ADP is wide receiver 49, so he's a wide receiver 4 or 5. I have him ranked at wide receiver 51. Frankly, he's a guy that I'd rather just let's see what happens. I'm not drafting him as a sleeper or anything such. Alright guys, guess what time it is. Mail time. Mail time. The mail's here. It's the mailbag, baby. Now, remember, if you ever want to get on the mailbag or if you just need a question answered for your fantasy football purposes, and I'm assuming there's going to be a lot more questions out there coming. There's already been a ton from MD Nation. We appreciate them all. But with August coming up, draft season's here. You guys are going to be asking a ton of questions, and we're going to be here to answer every single one of them. We'll pick out our favorites to be on the show. So if you want to have a chance for that, all you got to do is this. At belly up MDFF show on social media. We'll get back to you, and we'll pick out our favorite ones, put them on the show, give you a shout-out, and talk about them here. So that's all you have to do to get on the mailbag. Now, first question up. Emus, he asked me, in a half-point PPR league, would you rather have a Clyde Edwards-Hilaire or a Chris Carson?
1: Ooh, that's a tough one. For me personally, I'm probably, while I love Chris Carson, I love how he's developed, I'd actually go Clyde Edwards-Hilaire. I think he's going to have a bounce-back gear in a lot of ways and do what everybody expects him to do last year, do it this year. The Chiefs really haven't upgraded the receiver position, um, and I think that you're going to see more involved in the passing game. I wouldn't be surprised if he winds up being the more valuable back.
3: Yeah, I have him pretty close. I have uh, Clyde Edwards-Alaire at RB15. I have Chris Carson at RB19. So just by my rankings, I would have to say Clyde Edwards-Alaire. I mean, it's still a higher-scoring offense. The offensive line improving is where I get intrigued because I do wonder what is now the ceiling? What doors could that open for Clyde Edwards? I still think he's awful in the red zone. I still think he's a guy who just can't get it done at the goal line. I still am not convinced that the chiefs don't try to bring in some kind of veteran running back at some point in training camp as a result of that. But if he just gets thrown the ball a little bit more, and just by the numbers, he should. There should be some positive regression in his favor to get a few more targets this season and actually get involved in that aspect of the game. You know, his best trait when you draft him in the first place. I think that will boost him up enough in his offense to be a little bit ahead of Chris Carson. But I think Chris Carson has a chance this season to have... I don't want to say a breakout year, but in some way, really perform better fantasy football purposes than he ever has been. So the upside's there, but I will lean towards Clyde Edwards-Helaire in that situation, just a slightly over a Chris Carson, uh, personally. Next up, we got Henry. He asked me, uh, he says, "I'm keeping Nick Chubb, but should I reach on Kareem Hunt in the fourth round or hope he falls to me in the fifth round?"
1: Um, I mean, I for me. I'm not a huge handcuff guy, so that I don't necessarily reach to get the handcuff. I wouldn't reach. I would be comfortable with the best player on my board. So I think that my advice would be you know, while you have Nick Chubb, you want to kind of lean towards having the best player on your board, not necessarily having a handcuff for your guy.
3: I mean Cream Hunt's going right in that for, that fourth, fifth round. He's 49. So like it's literally like it's like the first pick in the fifth round according to his his ADP at the moment. So I guess to me it's gonna depend. Here's what I'll say. I will not target it specifically just because you have a Nick Chubb. But if there's ever going to be a handcuff you go after, it's Kareem Hunt. I have him ranked at RB28 this season in half-point PPR leagues. The only reason I'll say is this is because Kareem Hunt, is actually the one handcuff who you could plug and play as your flex play every single week and get solid production out of, because he's still going to be the main pass catching back. He's still probably going to get 10 plus carries in a game. That's what he averaged last year with him and Nick Chubb on the field. So because he has that flex value, it's not a strategy I would actually steer away from, but I'm also not going to specifically target him either. Again, MD Nation, the one thing that you have to take with you into your drafts is just drafting the best valuable player at, each round you'll be just fine whoever that winds up being that winds up being a cream hunt fine but I'm not going to specifically target him there either although I will say like I said the one handcuff situation where you could actually play both of those guys and be okay in your lineup is that one type of situation Crosby and we talked about this well in a way keep Austin Eckler or Antonio Gibson in a non PPR now he didn't specify what round he gets to keep them in. So let's say, for argument's sake, you have to keep both of them in the second round. Who would you rather have, Austin Eckler or Antonio Gibson?
1: I'd rather have Antonio Gibson in the standard scoring league by far. I think you're going to see this guy who was pretty productive last year, almost had double-digit touchdowns, and then to add the fact that he should be more involved in the passing game this year, which is what he basically got drafted for coming out of college. I think he has the more upside. I think he has a safer floor. I go with Gibson.
3: Yeah, Gibson's going to have way more touchdowns. If you're you're in a a standard league, non-PPR, non-half-point PPR, I mean, Gibson's going to probably be a workhorse back anyway, so I think he's actually going to probably, between carries and receptions, possibly have more volume than an Austin Eckler on a game-to-game basis on top of it, but he's definitely going to get more touchdowns. So I don't think that's really even a question. You're definitely keeping Antonio Gibson. Last question, Jason. Dynasty PPR, would you rather have Jonathan Taylor, A.J. Brown, or... DK Metcalf?
1: Well, I absolutely love AJ Brown and DK Metcalf, and they're two of my favorite players in the league. I have to go with the running back, Jonathan Taylor. I think that he has a great floor. I think that he's only 23 years old, that Colts offensive line's strong. I think he's got a better quarterback with carson Wentz than they had Phillip Rivers. So I think you got a good future looking in the Colts right now for Indianapolis. And I would go Jonathan Taylor because I think he had, he brings everything to the table. He can catch the ball, he can run the ball, and he's got a good offensive line, a good offense. While I love the two receivers, you can find receivers from year in and year out. You saw Justin Jefferson kind of explode into the scene last year, similar to A.J. Brown. So I think you can kind of – those guys kind of come around more often versus that running back who's a stud is harder to kind of replace.
3: Yeah, I tend to agree with you. I think if this was a 2021 question, I think I'd rather have DK Metcalf over the other two players, quite frankly, but because it's a dynasty question, it's so much harder to get those running backs, especially those guys who have those top end levels that I would lean towards Jonathan Taylor, but that's, that's a very, very tough question. I want to wrap up the show with the two poll questions we had throughout the year. So I asked, or throughout the week, I asked the guys, the MD nation, you know, which of these low end RB2s slash high-end RB3s would you prefer to have? Because There's a group of guys there that I think was very interesting. And I put it between Mike Davis, Miles Gaskin, Chase Edmonds, and Javante Williams. Javante Williams actually won the vote at 37%. Miles Gaskin came in second at 30%. Mike Davis, 24%. And then bringing up the rear was Chase Edmonds. So, Chris, which one of those low-end RB2s, high-end RB3s would you rather have in 2021?
1: I think I'm the opposite of MD Nation, where I'd rather have Chase Edmonds, the guy that had finished last, is my top guy. I think Chase Edmonds has the best ceiling. I think that he has the best chance to kind of explode into the scene. Those other guys we've kind of seen have opportunities. We've seen Gaskin be the featured guy. We've seen Mike Davis be the featured guy last year and kind of how he faltered as the season progressed. Javante Williams is the flavor of the month in a sense because he's young, he's rookie. People always automatically assume he's going to be great. Um, he still has Belvin Gordon in the backfield. let still see how that kind of unfolds for him. So while long-term, I love Javante Williams. This year, I'm not. I would not go chase Edmonds.
3: I would, I think I actually would agree with MD Nation on Javante Williams only for this reason. Both these guys have a split backfield. There's been a lot of talk, and it's starting to come from sources I actually trust. There's always a lot of talk about everything, but. When you start to get the sources you actually trust and you learn who it is in certain teams and like that, there's starting to be sources in Denver that I trust that are telling me that Javante Williams is looking like the starting running back. Now, there's still going to be a split between him and Melvin Gordon. Do not get me twisted. However, if he could be the starter day one, given how productive the running back situation is under Pat Shermer at all times, given how good I think Javante Williams is, I just think he could be more of a league winner. I trust his usage more. I, I, there's just one little thing about Kingsbury just rubs in a wrong way when it comes to Chase Edmonds. I don't always trust him to use him properly. It's the only difference. But as far as like second, I would have Chase Edmonds as my second guy, not the last guy. Mike Davis. I worry about him flaming out later on in the year, even though the volume is definitely going to be there. Miles Gaskin, I don't believe for a second is a true workhorse back, and I don't believe for a second he'll play a full seventeen game season. So that's why I would have them behind those two. I think I would lean towards Devontae Williams with MD Nation on this one, but Emmons would actually be my second guy, not my last guy on that one. Last one because I had to ask this question because the Cam Akers, you know, news this week. What is Daryl Henderson's range? We talked about this a little bit. We both agreed it was a mid-level RB two. MD Nation agreed with that. Fifty-five percent said mid-level RB two. Twenty percent said low-end RB one, high-end RB two, and twenty-six percent said low-end RB two, high-end RB
1: three. Yeah, I tend to agree with MD Nation on that one. I think that it's guy's clearly a great RB two. You know, sniff the RB one range. I don't. I think that if as an RB three, you're kind of you get really lucky if he's your running back three. Let's just say it that way. I don't think he's running back three. I think he's RB2. and I think that's where I go through MD Nation's kind of vote.
3: Yeah, and I think he has a safe value right there as a mid-level RB2 as well. I think you could pretty much count on that given the depth chart, especially as of this moment. That's going to wrap up the show, guys. I hope you guys all enjoyed it. Remember, next week, we're back two days. We're going to be back on Thursday from 11 a.m. to 12.30 p.m. And we're going to be back on Friday from 11 a.m. to 12.30 p.m. We're going to be wrapping up the team profile series next week. Those two episodes will cap it. We'll have done all 32 teams before we start heading to August and talking about draft strategy and rankings and all that jazz. And, and training really into in training camp. We're going to have a lot lot to go through. It's cooking up. We're getting so close. We're almost, I believe it was, uh, I think we're just under 50 days now, actually, until kickoff. So excited for this time of the year. This is where we... I mean, this is Christmas. This is Christmas season when we get into August for fantasy football. So very excited for that. Very excited we'll be going to two days a week. So make sure you're tuning in there. Make sure you're subscribing on your favorite streaming apps. We're available everywhere. iTunes, iHeartRadio, Google Play, Stitcher, Spotify, wherever you like to go. We are there for you guys. Make sure you're following us on social media at BellyUpMDFFShow. We'll see you guys all next week. Everybody,
2: have a wonderful weekend.